This little girl, 14 years old, we were in rural Zambia. She kind of confessed to me that she was getting out of there and she was going to go to the big city. She was going to be a nurse and she had all these great dreams and plans. And it reminded me of how I was when I was 14 and Ben Affleck and we were going to go to the big city of New York and we were going to be actors. And that's exactly what a teenager should be doing, right? And thinking about what their life might be and this world of possibility in front of you. Matt Damon, someone who was able spectacularly to make his teenage dreams a reality. Not everyone is going to grow up to be an A-list Hollywood star, but what is the one thing that's keeping millions of people, particularly girls and women, from realising their own potential? The answer is clear. Water. So the actual impact of not having access to water is truly incalculable. It prevents people from living to their full potential. On this episode of Radio Davos, devoted to World Water Day, we speak to Matt Damon, who for 15 years has been involved in helping get water to the world's poorest, and to his partner in that endeavor, Gary White. Today, everyone in the world woke up and got water somewhere, right? The question was, how far did they have to walk? How contaminated was it? Or how much did they have to pay for it in an urban area that you often are paying 25% of your income? Gary and Matt tell us why water and sanitation are fundamental for people to be able to get themselves out of poverty, and about the additional challenges posed by the COVID pandemic and climate change. If we talk about climate change, we're really talking about water in so many contexts. Too much in flooding in some areas, drought in others. With terms of climate refugees, what we're really talking about is water refugees. Radio Davos is the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might try to solve them. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, take a moment to like and review us, and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy, Digital Editor at the World Economic Forum, and talking World Water Day with engineer Gary White and movie star Matt Damon. This issue is entirely solvable and fixable. We've got this one, right? This is Radio Davos. It's the 22nd of March 2021, World Water Day, a day that celebrates water and raises awareness of the 2.2 billion people who live without access to safe water. To mark the occasion, Radio Davos was joined by Matt Damon, the star of The Born Identity, Goodwill Hunting, The Martian. He launched his own water charity in 2006, and a few years later he merged it with one run by our other guest, Gary White, a civil and environmental engineer from Kansas City. Their charity, Water.org, and its sister organisation, Water Equity, works in 13 countries in Africa, Asia and Latin America, providing microfinance to help people build the small-scale infrastructure to get themselves clean water and sanitation. Matt joined me from Australia and Gary from the USA. Hi Matt and hi Gary, how are you both? Hi Robin, great, thank you. Doing well Robin, good to be here. Uh, which one of you wants to start? Tell, tell me how either of you got involved in water and bringing water to the poorest people around the world. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, I got involved with water you know, at a fairly young age. I was an undergrad in university and uh, was studying engineering and was just uh, captivated by the fact that uh, even though uh, we in the United States had really solved the water and sanitation solution, discovering literally that at that time, billions of people didn't have access to, to safe water or, or proper sanitation. And I just found that as a way to, to kind of marry up my engineering skills that I was developing with what I thought was one of the world's greatest needs. And that, that really came together for me. Uh, but I think as, as this evolved, uh, you know, recognizing that engineering is important, but as we'll probably get into today, it's the financial aspect of this crisis that is really gonna be the, the root of the solution. 
And Matt, how, how did you get involved? Because you, you, you came, you're each working on this separately before you joined together. So, so what was your route into this? Yeah, I, I went on a, I, I was really interested in, in these issues of extreme poverty and I, and I started to kind of study them more seriously. And, uh, and I went on a, a, a trip that was arranged for me by Bono's organization, uh, Data. And it was a, it was a kind of a, kind of like a college mini course and all these days, every day had a different kind of learning focus. And, uh, and, and I just was shocked at how water underpinned everything and undergirded all of these issues of extreme poverty. And, and yet nobody was talking about it and uh, nobody in the West could really relate to it. Um, because for us, you know, we're always just a few steps away from a clean drink of water. Uh, and yet people were dying of entirely preventable diseases because they lacked access to clean water and I, and, uh, or, you know, or sanitation. I, I just found that absolutely staggering. And, and as I kind of engaged with the issue, I found it just endlessly interesting and complex. And, uh, and uh, that kind of led me on this, this journey that, that ended up with me finding Gary and partnering with him and, and starting water.org. What is it about water? I mean, so for, for those of us who are used to it, just being there the whole time, why have you found actually that working on that as a kind of a building block to bringing people out of poverty? Why is it so fundamental? Well, I mean, to start with, you've got a million people, children dying of entirely preventable things every year, right? Like diarrhea, right? Which is an, a ridiculous idea um, to those of us in the West who, you know, whose kids might miss a day of school from something like that. Um, but, uh, but there's this whole, the, the actual impact is, is incalculable when you start to look at the lives. Like the very first water collection I ever went on um, 15 or so years ago with, was with this little girl. She was 14 years old and I was waiting for her when she came home from school. We were in rural Zambia. We went for this walk. She, there was a bore well about a mile from her house. And she put her book bag down and we went for this walk together. And it was just the two of us with the translator. And, and through the course of our conversation, she was telling me, I was asking her if she was going to live in this, in this village, right. Uh, for the rest of her life. And, um, and, and she kind of confessed to me that she was getting out of there and she was going to go to the big city. She was going to go to Lusaka and she was going to be a nurse. And she had all these great dreams and plans. And it reminded me of how I was when I was 14 and Ben Affleck and we were going to go to the big city of New York and we were going to be actors. And that's exactly what a teenager should be doing. Right. And, and thinking about what their, what their life might, might be. And, and this world of possibility in front of you. And it wasn't until I left this kid that I went, had someone not had the foresight to sink the bore well a mile from her house, she would be spending her entire day searching for water and collecting water for her family. And she wouldn't be in school and she would have no hopes and no dreams. So, so the actual impact of, of not having access to water is, is, is truly incalculable. It just keeps, it prevents people from living, living up to their, their, their full potential. Interesting. You, you cite a girl there because often it, the lack of access to water impacts girls and women more than than boys and men can you say something Absolutely. about that well yeah the water collection is left to the women and the girls and so so girls are missing hundreds of millions of hours of school as we speak all around the world because they because they're collecting water uh women are leaving jobs 
that they could be, you know, uh, uh, earning more money at for the family because they're they're standing in line waiting waiting for water um, or, or going off and, and collecting water. And so it disproportionately affects women and girls uh, and their outcomes are, are uh, far less rosy because of be, 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 because of this issue. Do you think we're making progress on the issue? You've been both been working in this for a number of years. Are you seeing progress? Or are you seeing things getting worse in any ways? I, I definitely see progress. When, when you look at, you know, the, the past year notwithstanding, we can kind of come back to that, but certainly, you know, over about two and a half decades, more than 2 billion people have gotten access to, to water and sanitation improvements. And so you can see that, uh, that that is tracking in the right direction. Now, of course, with, with COVID, uh, you know, there's so many more people at risk now because of, of loss of income. And because of climate change, more people are at risk and there's the potential to backslide. As we look at climate change and where it's going to have the greatest impact, not surprisingly, the people that are among the poorest in the world are gonna be the most affected by this. And if we, we talk about climate change, we're really talking about water in so many contexts, too much in flooding in some areas, drought in others. And so even those folks who have that tenuous access to water uh, every day, are going to be affected. You know, today, everyone in the world woke up and got water somewhere, right? The question was, how far did they have to walk? How contaminated was it? Or how much did they have to pay for it in an urban area? You often are paying 25% of your income. With climate change, if like that water hole you're going to, all of a sudden, you know, during the dry season isn't a mile away, but it's seven miles away, then that's going to dramatically impact your life. And eventually it's going to lead to much more migration, right? And I think what we see is that, that uh, with terms of climate refugees, what we're really talking about is water refugees. And so I'm hopeful that we're going to bounce back from this. I'm hopeful that we'll work for ways to help adaptation in terms of some of the poorest populations and give them more resilience. But I'm concerned that if we don't really put more resources behind this, uh, it's going to get worse. And you're an engineer. So when you're out in the field in these places, where does engineering come in to, to provide water? Mm. What, what are the kinds of things you can do to help? Well, for sure. I mean, the, the engineering part of this is not is not complicated, right? We've known how to do this for, for more than a century in terms of sourcing water, treating it, and distributing it. And so, uh, you know, I, I see this more through the lens of a, of a finance model right now. And, uh, and what we need to do is figure out how to connect the global capital markets to water and sanitation solutions. And that sounds a bit, you know, unexpected, right? How can some of the world's poorest people benefit from the global capital markets in terms of solving their water and sanitation issue? But that's what we've proven with our water credit model. What we actually have done is to help people uh, like one woman in, in Kenya that got one of the water credit loans from one of our partners so she could install a water tank and a water pump. Well. Before this, she was having to, to go collect water to water her animals and water her crops to grow into to grow her income. And then during the dry season, she had to pay $60 every month for the water she needed to sustain the crops and the animals. So she took out a loan, she installed that tank, and her loan payments are $20 a month, right? So she's pocketing $40 every month. And so that value that's being created 
allows us to do things like tap the capital markets and provide loans to those partners that give her that loan and then get a financial return to, to investors. So it's a little bit more complicated than just thinking of Orwell, but we're able to, in the end of the day, see that value created for that poor person, the person living in poverty, and then capturing some of that value and then getting that back to investors so that we can scale this up tremendously with uh, the capital markets. And all it really is, is just nudging the market towards the, 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 you know, this community of the world's poor. Like they, I mean, the great success story of our work is that these loans pay off at 99%. You know, these women who are taking these loans are amazing. And they're, you know, 94% of our borrowers are women. They're, they're, they're paying these loans back. Um, and, and really it's just with the slightest nudge of the markets, these, these, these people are able to take control of their own lives and solve their own problem. So it, it stop looking at it as like a charity issue and, and, and look, and look at these people as, as customers to be served, you know, with agency and, and the inability to, to, uh, to, to solve their own problems. Right. Because a, a lot of these people are, as, as Gary, you mentioned that are already paying a lot of money to access water in certain in, in certain urban environments. You're exactly, that, and that's yeah. a step back for a minute. I think we probably missed that. You know, that was that was really the key insight that Gary had years and years ago. Um, and and uh, that's really the you know the the insight that 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 the world's poor are paying for water already. They they and uh, and so if we just can help them in a more traditional way to do that. Mm. Um, they can, you know, they can pay off a loan quite easily and then suddenly have all this, you're, you're, you're a lot of times you're buying somebody's time back because, because women will take time away from a job to go, uh, to go collect water and, uh, you, you, you buy that time back and they're able to pay the loan off really easily, actually, by, by as Gary just pointed out, paying less money than they were anyway. Uh, and then, and then suddenly have all this extra income. Why does it take you two guys to put this in motion why wasn't this or maybe it was already happening but what what do you think what why 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 did it need you two to step up and push this forward i think it took gary figuring it out he's very humble and he won't say that but um but look it took muhammad yunus pioneering this work right i mean why didn't anybody think of it before he did right this idea of microfinance um it was about living in that community and he understood it gary spent his entire adult life in these communities and went wait a minute hang on you know there's a there's a there's a market correction to be had here this this problem can completely be solved right so uh so it, it took that insight Right. And then it took understanding what Eunice had done and then repurposing that work and applying it to the water sector, which was another thought leap for the microfinance institutions, because because this is not an income generating loan we're talking about. It's an income enhancing loan. Sure. Right. It's 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 buying somebody's time back, but it's not the traditional way of even doing the non-traditional thing that Muhammad Yunus invented. Right. So it's just another it's another iteration. And it just took somebody like Gary to figure that out. You're listening to Radio Davos on World Water Day with special guests Gary White and Matt Damon, co-founders of water.org. The person Matt Damon was talking about there as an innovator in microfinance for the poor is Bangladeshi social entrepreneur and Nobel Peace Prize laureate Mohammed Yunus. We'll be back with more from Matt and Gary after this. The worst thing in the world is to have a solution in search of a problem. Are you solving the right problem? 
That's the key question for any leader, especially this week's guest on Meet the Leader, Carlos Brito, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch InBev. He'll explain how the company tackles pain points for farmers and retailers across the globe, including those in developing countries, and how they're ensuring groups like smallholder farmers can take advantage of new advancements in weather data and other technology. We have smallholder farmers, and they have a flip phone, so sharing had to be all based on flip phones and SMS so we could get people to be included as opposed to excluded. He'll explain why the company is investing in tech like blockchain and working to bridge digital gaps and how those investments kept the company moving last year and kept its communities resilient. He'll also share his favorite book and what makes any meeting more worthwhile. If you enter in a room and things are decided in two minutes or three minutes and everybody agrees, that was not a very good session. There's all that and more on the World Economic Forum podcast, Meet the Leader. I'm your host, Linda Lucina. Listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to Radio Davos on World Water Day with special guests Matt Damon and Gary White, co-founders of the charities Water.org and Water Equity. Can we talk about COVID-19? So it's about it's a year just passed since it was declared a pandemic. Has that had any impact on your work? It certainly accentuated the need for water much more, right? When you when you look at the you know the instruction that we got from the public health officials about you know wash your hands often, right, and stay at home, those are two things that people who don't have access to water at home weren't able to do. So right, right away, those basic things that need to happen. Uh, weren't able to happen for them. And so we did see a slowdown in our work. We saw a slowdown in terms of our, our microfinance partners and the loans that they were able to get and the water connections they're able to make. But thankfully that's bounced back now and we're on track to, to meet the goals, the targets that we had for this year. We project that we'll be able to reach about 8 million people uh, this year with access to, to water and sanitation. And I think it also just drives home the fact that we are all uh, we're all neighbors, right? If if someone halfway around the world uh, is the tipping point for spreading disease like COVID because they didn't wash their hands, that then shows up, you know, in our own neighborhood here in the U.S. a few weeks later. And I think that's that's what rec- makes us recognize that we're all in this together in so many different ways. If not, you know, just ethically, certainly very pragmatically. What can the average person people in different parts of the world, in the developed world, in the developing world, what can they do to help this problem of lack of access to water and sanitation? Uh, come on over to water.org and make a donation. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, that, that was your uh, moment yeah. for a plug. Def, def. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a shameless plug and we'll take it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one very easy, actionable thing to do. It's a, a mouse click away and, uh, and we'll put it to good use. It is just kind of come down to that, right? I think that what we're trying to to do is to kind of redefine what philanthropy is in terms of water and sanitation and don't see philanthropy as the end, but see that as an engine to unleash some of this capital that then allows the people you reach to be multiples of what it would be otherwise. I mean, just look at an example, right? If you if you sum up over a 15-year period all of the philanthropy that went into water and sanitation. We exceeded that with the capital mobilized for water credit. So $2.6 billion in these micro loans has been catalyzed by by water.org. That's more than all of the philanthropy 
in the world <laughs> over a 15 year period. So you see what we can do is we can be smarter about philanthropy and catalyze it. And even for $5, you know, we can reach somebody with access to, to safe water because of that multiplier effect that we have. And for people, you know, who are seeing us or listening to this, it can be a very straightforward way to, to go to water.org and make those donations so that we can continue this, this journey. Are there things you've learned personally over the years you've been involved in this, each of you, what, what are the things where have really, apart from that initial spark of, oh, I see there's a problem here, or I've, I've seen initially, here's a potential solution. As you've been putting those solutions into effect, are there things you've learned over that time? I know. Well, I mean, you just touched on it. I think the biggest takeaway for me and the, and the one takeaway I would like your listeners to have is that there is a solution, right? There, the, and, and, and that should be, you know, the, the, the problems of the world can seem so daunting. And you hear in this cascade of problems we have, this issue is entirely solvable and fixable. It's one of the sustainable development goals, number six. We can actually, we, we've got this one, right? And I think that's the, the key takeaway. It's about getting the word out, like, you know, podcasts like this and, 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 uh, and, and letting people know that there, there, you know, there are these, the, the, in this case, this this solution, this uh, finance solution is, you know, the only bottleneck is uh, access to affordable capital, which is why we created water equity. We're trying to tap the social impact markets because it, 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 all that money that's just sitting there, all this giving pledge money that's just sitting around looking for a good place to go. Um, this is these loans pay back at 99 percent. And our MFI partners all report that 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 the only issue for them, it's not, there's, there's plenty of demand. It's just access to affordable capital. So, so that's, uh, that's why we, you know, we'd love to get out and talk about it as much as we can. Gary, anything, anything you've learned over the years? So, yeah, I, I've learned a lot. I get, I learned that maybe instead of getting three engineering degrees, I should have got an MBA that may have helped me more <laughs> uh, in, in this work. And so that that was an eye opener for me. But I think it's you know it's it's this collection of insights. I, I just remember this really coming home to me when I was meeting with a woman in uh, in India. Uh, she was probably about eighty years old, and she had actually she lived on this hillside, this rocky hillside, and and she had installed a toilet at her home because she would have to wait for the cover of night to walk down, go out by the river uh, to defecate. And she had like installed this toilet. And I'm like, wow, that's great. How did, how did you get the money to do that? And she had, she had taken out a loan from a loan shark and she was telling me, you know, how much her payments were and, I, and how much the loan was. And I did the math and she was paying 125% interest to a loan shark because she wanted that toilet so badly. And when you hear those stories repeated over and over again, you recognize how much, uh, how much people value this and how much it contributes to their life and how that says buying their time back. And so it's like an aha moment. It's like, let's think about the problem differently. Let's think about philanthropy, not as an end to itself with this, but think of philanthropy as the bridge to the capital that would allow her to get an affordable loan, still have that same impact, be better for her, but it would also allow the capital markets to, to be activated, particularly with social impact investors. If you just look at all the money that is locked away right now in family foundations and donor advised funds, think about just if that money could just be invested in a water equity fund where those foundations would actually earn a return on their money while they're waiting to give it away 
And in the meantime, it's having this social impact uh, on people around the world. That's what I think is that the potential of the water and sanitation solution, those funds can have impact as investments while the people are waiting to give it away philanthropically. So maybe instead of just being all invested in blue chip stocks, you might be invested in a water equity fund that's able to do that. Do you think you will ever be able to say, uh, Matt was very optimistic there, and that's a lovely message that we can do this one, you know, of all these the big challenges, the sustainable development goals, we can do this one, but will there ever be a moment where you can say, yeah, we've achieved this and you can pack up and walk away? Actually, the, our, in our mission statement, it is to, to, uh, to do this in our lifetime and, uh, and put ourselves out of work. So that's what we're all working towards, trying to, trying to put ourselves out of work. Um, so yes, we do believe that. Um, and, uh, and uh, we, we, we're, we're hopeful that that will have, a lot of it is about, you know, activating these capital markets, as Gary said, you know, like getting these, getting the attention of these big investors um, and, and, and helping them understand that this, that, that all it takes is their engagement and, and we're off. Yeah. And it, it, it does, it, it will require more philanthropic capital. I think of this model uh, that we've, we've generated and we know that we can take the leap to the next step, right? If we, could, if we can generate $50 million in philanthropic capital to be able to build this pipeline of investment further, we believe we could put a billion dollar fund to work. And so we look to venture philanthropist and venture capitalist to see this almost like a private equity investment. If you think of what, what someone in private equity would see here, a $50 million investment, the multiples on that invested capital is dramatic. It's in the billions. And so if we can just reframe how, you know, philanthropists think about placing big bets, not just on, you know, the next, uh, startup in Silicon Valley, but on something like this that has the potential to have that type of social impact, we can reframe this for philanthropists. I mean, you know, right now, Jack Dorsey's done that, you know, with his Start Small Foundation, he's out there placing big bets. We were fortunate that uh, he provided us with a $4.7 million grant recently for work in, in Africa. Mackenzie Scott, you know, she's setting an example by giving away big bets on organizations in an unrestricted way, oftentimes to allow them to grow these big ideas. So we need to, to bring that type of risk capital into this so that it can have the impact in the social sector that we see in the private sector. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you both. Let's hope World War Today raises more visibility of the problem and good luck to you both. Yeah, and we, yeah, we look forward to connecting with you guys more. I mean, we, we're kind of semi-regulars at Davos, so looking forward to being back again this year. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but Matt and I are working on a book right now, and we hope that uh, that might be something that we can we can see get more traction at Davos this year. What's the, the maybe book we'll is... even see, we'll, we'll see you in person maybe, Robin, right? Oh. That, well, that would be lovely. That would be lovely for <laughs> if, us. If, we, if we're ever allowed to see anyone in person. But actually, you're in exactly. Australia. You're in Australia. You're out of lockdown now, right? That must be. I'm I'm out of lockdown. Yeah. yeah as uh, yeah, I'm out of lockdown. Still looking forward to my jab. Whenever my name comes up on a list, I'm I'm uh, I'm going. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to moving around the world again. 
Matt Damon. My thanks to him and to Gary White for joining me on Radio Davos. You can find more details of their work in the article that accompanies this episode. Look for that at wf.ch slash podcast. Radio Davos is the podcast that looks at the world's biggest challenges and possible ways we can solve them. You can find coverage of all of that at weforum.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and on Twitter using the handle at WEF. And please join the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. This episode was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with studio production by Gareth Nolan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you liked it, please leave us a review. We'll be back soon, but for now, thanks for listening to Radio Davos, and goodbye.